You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. If you could stand to honor the reading of God's Word, we are going to be in, as I said, prayed, Romans chapter 8. If you are visiting with us, we stand to honor the reading of God's Word because we believe that it is the the Word of God, that... um, that, that it is inspired, that it is authoritative, and that I have nothing better to offer you than what's inside this book. So that's why you stand when we read it, and then as, I'm, as I preach, or anybody who's up here preaching, we ask that you sit, because you don't want to stand for like 35 minutes to 45 minutes, right? So uh, Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 18, this is the word of the Lord. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to the futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only, with creation, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of the sons, or as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who were called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined he also called, and those whom he called he also justified, and those whom he justified he also glorified. You may be seated. So we're in this sermon series titled Questionable. We're coming, I mean, there's not many more sermons in the series left. Uh, many of you know that uh, I asked for you to submit topics of things that maybe you've never, a topic that you've not heard me preach on, or maybe you've not heard a pastor preach on before, and we made a sermon series of it out of 40 submissions, weaned it down to about 13 sermons, and uh, this is one of them. Uh, next week, just to, I don't know why, I mean, I, I, I wonder, I, I so some of my pastor friends said, you know, you're, you're really brave doing a sermon series where people get to submit topics that you've not preached on before. There's a reason why pastors don't preach on certain things, uh, because it's uncomfortable, you know. So, so next week uh, is the sermon, Where Are All the Women Pastors? So come back next week and uh, find out uh, where all the women, women pastors are. But this week is on grief, and uh, Rachel... Abraham uh, was the daughter of Cliff Abraham, so Bonnie's also here. Uh, Bonnie is, was married to Cliff, and uh, on October 9th, 2021, Cliff succumbed to complications due to COVID. 
and died and went home to be with the Lord. And his memorial service was in this room. And, and I preached on Romans chapter 8. Some time ago, Rachel came up to me. This was during, this was, I, I don't even remember exactly when it was, but she, it, she had mentioned that it was during our a Q&A time. So every once, about once a month, I do a Q&A time with the youth. Uh, we've got, I mean, our youth ministry is growing. I think we've got about 25 teens that, that come you know, every Sunday evening. But we did a Q&A Sunday, and she came up to me. Well, she asked a question about grief, or about you know, so your faith surviving grief. I found out after the first service that actually she was talking about herself. And, uh, and then she came up to me afterwards and said, could we meet, could we, could we talk, because I'm really struggling. I'm struggling with my faith um, in light of my father's death. And so... So we did. We met at Dasbog and we talked. Later on, she had, when she knew that I was going to be doing the sermon series, she submitted the topic on how, you can, how your faith can survive overwhelming grief and pain. And uh, then I offer, uh, also offered, hey, if you want me to share my story, I'm totally open to that. And so I said, okay. Definitely. So at the end of, like towards the end of my sermon today, Rachel's going to come up and we're going to talk. We're going to talk about just how she's worked through her grief and how her faith was able to survive, you know, the, the, the death of her, of her father. And so that's why, that's why I'm, I'm preaching this sermon today. The other reason is I couldn't think of a better subject than to address grief on Mother's Day. Uh, you know, when you feel deeply for your child, and I would guess every single mother in here, every grandmother, every great-grandmother in this room feels deeply for, for your children, for your grandchildren, for your great-grandchildren, there's grief that you no doubt experienced, you know, in your lifetime. Just wondering how, you know, looking at this son or this daughter or this grandchild or this great-grandchild, wondering how is God going to turn this around, <laughs> Right? Uh, maybe it's the death of a child that you're still grieving over. I was reading a statistic. So statistically speaking, women in childbearing age are two times more likely to suffer from depression than men. And so I just thought, I, this, is an this is definitely an appropriate topic to cover in light of um, Mother's Day. So here's my hope. My hope is that you'll be helped. My hope is that you'll be encouraged. This is not a downer of a sermon. This is a, this is a sermon to, to, to point you in the direction of this is how you can overcome great grief in your life or great sorrow or great pain. Tim Keller, who now, actually he is, he's dealing with stage four pancreatic cancer. He's, he was a pastor in, uh, at Redeemer Fellowship, I believe was the name of the church, in Manhattan. He stepped down from that. He, he's written a gazillion books, <laughs> a lot of books. Uh, many of, uh, much of what he's preached, uh, the books that I've read, have been a help to me. He said this, and I, he said this, he actually stated this in a book that he wrote on suffering that I believe was published in 2013 uh, titled Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. So I would recommend that book to you, by the way. 
Uh, but this is what he said. He said, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family, and successful with our career, something will inevitably ruin it. You know, that's, I mean, we live in a world that's cursed. We live in a world where there's death and disease and all kinds of stuff. And and we, we were designed and meant to experience shalom, that is peace, that's the kind of peace we experience with God, but, but there's, because of just the, the, the world that we live in, something will inevitably uh, vandalize that thing that, you're, that you've worked so hard to keep, whether it's a relationship, a job, or, or, or something. I say this often in premarital counseling when I have these two, the couple sitting, you know, on the couch and they're happy and they think and they know their whole life is in front of them and they're in love. And I I say, I I usually ask them, uh, if the person sitting next to you is the greatest reality in your life, you will be disappointed. Because one thing is for certain, life will throw you a curveball. Something will happen in your life you didn't see, see coming, and it, it, will, it may blindside you, and there's got to be something greater, something more beautiful, majestic, more awesome than the person sitting next to you for you to be able to survive that, and for your marriage to endure in, in the kind of way that God wants it to endure. So Paul here in Romans chapter 8, and it would be helpful if you have a Bible to be camped out in Romans chapter 8, or have your, your phone or your iPad or whatever you use to, to look at the Bible, because I, I want you to see these, these words here. In verse 18, Paul says something that I think is so profoundly helpful for, for surviving overwhelming grief in terms of our faith. And he says this, For I consider that the sufferings, what kind of sufferings, Paul? The sufferings of this present time. The sufferings I'm encountering right now are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's future tense. So the sufferings I'm experiencing now dim in comparison to the, to the glory that is to be revealed to us, future tense. So Paul was holding on to something in the midst of his present-day sufferings that made his present-day sufferings dim in comparison of that thing that he was holding on to or that reality that he was holding on to. Uh, when I p- preached at Cliff's memorial service, I preached on Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eighteen. Well, I mean, Romans chapter eight, verse eighteen. I kind of skipped over. I read it, but I, I skipped over. I didn't camp on it. I didn't feel like it, it was the time to camp on that at that moment in the way that I'm camping on it today. I kind of look at this sermon as part two of that memorial message that I delivered. Uh, to honor Cliff's life. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory or with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So what is that glory? What is that glory he's talking about? Because there are some, there are pastors (laughs) uh, who probably shouldn't be in the pulpit who would try to convince their people, the people that they're shepherding, that the glory that is to be revealed to us is all about us. That, 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 that we are the center of God's universe. That, that, that all of heaven revolves around human beings. And that would be, de- <laughs> that would be depressing. Um, 
if, for this reason. If God is the greatest reality in the universe, which he is, if he is as good as it gets, because he's the creator, then, then it is God who makes heaven heaven. It is God who makes uh, this glory that he is going to give to us all worth it. Man, listen, mankind, you, me, <clears throat> we are not the center of God's universe. Your child is not the center of God's universe. You're not the center of God's universe. God is the center of God's universe. And the greatest gift that God could give to you is himself. And, um, <clears throat> and so Paul is holding on to this glory that's to be revealed to not just the, the Apostle Paul, to us. Every single Christian reading verse 18 of Romans chapter 8 is going, to, is going to experience this glory that's to be revealed to us. What I find interesting is when I, when I, when I survey the, uh, the epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote, uh, it's, it's mind-blowing. In Philippians, chap, in Philippians, which is a small little letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, he wrote it while he was either under house arrest or in prison. Like, so, so he was either chained up or chained to a guard in, under house arrest, or he was in some cell with bars somewhere. Some theologians think that when he wrote Philippians, it was one of the last letters that he wrote before he was executed. I don't know. I kind of think he was released from prison. But he didn't know what was going to happen. And at the very beginning of his, of his little letter, he wrote this, and the words will be on the screen. He said, for, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now listen, this is what he says next. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then later on he'll say, I don't know what to choose. If, if God spares my life and, I, and I'm able to, to survive this, this imprisonment, then it's fruitful ministry that I can continue to participate in for your good, Philippian Christians. But if I die, it's game. It's game. Like how, how could he say something like that? And in, in, in what was certainly his last letter that he wrote, 2 Timothy, it was the second letter that he wrote to a young pastor by the name of Timothy in his 30s, being, serving as a pastor in Ephesus. And uh, he, wrote, he wrote this letter, and he wanted to encourage this young pastor, and he said, in light of his, his imminent death, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. I love, the, I love that description there. He's, he, there was a, with the temple or the tabernacle, there was this, uh, there's a the place where the sacrifice would be would be offered, and one of the ways that the priests would worship is they would pour out a, a drink offering around the base of the altar or the around the altar. And Paul said, "I am being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also, listen, this is, all for, this is for us, to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
And that glory, he, he, he held on to that reality, and he, he referenced it in Philippians, he referenced it in, in 2 Timothy, and he referenced it in, in his other epistles as well. Meaning like, there is purpose and design in your suffering. Did you know that? God is doing something in the midst of your suffering. It's not random. It's not empty. Steve Saint, who was the son of Nate Saint, Nate Saint was speared to death by a bunch of Indians in South America as he was trying to bring the gospel to them. Steve's aunt and Elizabeth Elliot walked into the tribe preached the gospel to the tribe, discipled both the men and the women in the tribe until there were men who were able to serve as elders in this little church. And there's a picture, there's this picture of, of these two Indians who are elders in this church baptizing Steve and his sister in the river that they dumped uh, Steve's father's body in. It's a powerful picture. Steve uh, was in a, you know, served as a missionary. He was an aviator like his father um, and suffered a traumatic injury that uh, has rendered it impossible for him to continue to serve in that capacity. He said something. He said something one day. I, I was listening to him being interviewed. He said, you know, God does not waste a tear and he does not waste a hurt. And Paul's saying, I think, the same thing here. Okay, and if, if anybody suffered, Paul suffered. In fact, to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, he, he said, you know, I've been imprisoned and I've been under house arrest numerous times, and the amount of times I've been beaten for my faith, I totally lost count. I totally lost count. Like I, I was thinking about the amount of funerals. So next Next Saturday, I'm going to officiate a memorial service for a man who died of a heart attack uh, in the early morning hours some time ago. He was a part of the church. He attended the church I planted in Colorado, so I'm going next week to officiate his memorial service. I've lost count of how many funerals I've done. Paul's saying, I, I totally lost count how many times I've been beaten. I can't imagine being beaten that, that many times. And then he continued in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, for five times I received at the hands of Jews the 40 lashes, less one, is 39 lashes with a whip. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, one on, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleep, a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And what, what was it that kept Paul going in the midst of his present-day suffering? This glory that would be revealed to him. All this, the, the shipwrecks, the caning, the, 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 the flogging, the time that he was stoned to death and then God miraculously healed him, when he was bitten by a viper or by a, sna a poisonous snake, 
when he was adrift in the sea, when he was in the, in the cold of the night without any place warm to sleep, he said it was all worth it because of the glory that is to be revealed to me, and not just to me, but to all who love his appearing. I don't know about you, that's, I find that encouraging. In fact, he, he also wrote to the Corinthians. I was thinking in the first service, man, I should have just used two passages. Second Corinthians is great. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 says this. Let's read this together. Ready? We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Like, yeah, you know what he's saying there? Uh, suffering stinks. <laughs> like, this is not fun. Like, I don't think Paul was, you know, enjoyed what he experienced. But he said, even when I was afflicted, I was not crushed. Even when I was driven to the, you know, perplexed, I was not driven to despair. Even when I was persecuted, I was not, you know, not forsaken. Even though I was struck, struck down, I was not destroyed. Like, with Jesus said something to his disciples. He said, so, you know, some of you they will kill, but not a hair on your head will perish. So, now we're getting to my two points, <laughs> um, which are brief, by the way. The first is that we will suffer before we experience glory. We will suffer before we experience glory. And um, the glory that Paul is referring to is outside of ourselves. It's not our own glory. It's the glory of God and what he, what he has for his children. Like, like he, he referred, like we're referred to in Romans chapter 8 as children like, or sons and daughters of, the, of this living God. If you, if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are a son, you are, you are a daughter of the living God. <clears throat> You received, as Paul described in Romans chapter 5, the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ. You, we read in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. That's, that's, if you're a Christian in this room, you are the recipient of that. And we learn he who did not spare his own son, later on in Romans chapter 8, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? The all things, brothers and sisters, that he's talking about is the glory that is to be revealed to us. And it makes all of our present day suffering dim in, compar in comparison of that reality. So when you're suffering, when you feel like you're overwhelmed by grief, that's what you hold on to. Like you can look at your suffering, your present day suffering, and know that it has a shelf life. It might last the duration of your lifetime, but it still has a shelf life. It's not eternal. It's not forever. Like Paul said this, he said, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 again, we, we do not lose heart. Why, Paul? Why do you not lose heart? Though our outer self is wasting away. Anybody feel that? 
Like I woke up, my neck hurts this morning. I don't know how I did it. <laughs> I didn't sleep well. Anybody else feel that way? <laughs> Anybody else have a joint that's bothering them, something in their body, right? Like, like now I have to wear glasses when I go to the movie theater. Like what's up with that? So though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For, though, you know, or for this light momentary what? Affliction. <laughs> momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all what, brothers and sisters, comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's the glory Paul is looking to that made his present-day sufferings dim in comparison. You know, we in the American church, we in the American church so desperately need a good dose of healthy theology on suffering. Like, we need that. Like, suffering is part of the Christian life. There is, this, there is a teaching... That, that comes from American pulpits, it's predominant in, in some African pulpits and some other places in the world, that financial blessing, physical well-being, and easy living is always the will of God for your life. It's called the prosperity gospel, and it is an abomination, um, in my view. It has no warrant in the scriptures. And so this is why yeah, like Jesus promised us a, not a pain-free life. He promised in this world we would have trouble. But he said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God's will, listen, this will be on the screen. God's will for your life is not a suffering-free life because to follow Jesus requires a cross-bearing life. Does that make sense? Like God's will for your life is not a suffering-free life because he, to follow Jesus requires a cross-bearing life. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. Your present-day suffering, listen, your present-day suffering doesn't necessarily mean that God is displeased with you. Like, the Bible says of the son and the daughter of God, that is you, that is me, those, who have placed your, those of you who have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that God as your father will discipline you. Some of that discipline is because of whatever you decided to do. Sin against him, you, you, your, your life is out of step with, with his will for, for your life. Um, some of that discipline has nothing to do with anything that you've done. It's him molding and shaping your life. Like, just because you have cancer does not mean that God is disciplining you in the sense that you've done something wrong. He's molding and shaping you. Just because somebody close to you that you love dearly died or is no longer in your life, doesn't, it does not mean that God is, 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 is mad at you. Hebrews chapter 12 says this about the discipline of the Lord. Uh, and these were, like in Hebrews, these were, the, the, the epistle to the Hebrews was written to a suffering church. And it, this is what we read. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If, if 
you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Anybody like amen to that? Um, but, ra- but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Look, I, I, I'm a dad. I love my, my children. As they were growing up, there were seasons, there were times where I had to discipline them. And uh, I had a method to it. So I was more the disciplinarian in the family. And, um, and so, uh, <laughs> how many of you have had more than one child? Just, just okay. So the first one, you're just trying to practice to get it right. Right? Isn't that true? Like you're just trying to figure it out. So you're either really too hard on them or too lenient. And then the second child's like, okay, I've learned some things. So, so the second child gets the benefit from, from the, you know, the first child. That's the way it was in my experience. So, um, so I learned some things with Nathan uh, and then uh, got better at you know, disciplining with Seth. But I, did, I used to do something, I think that would torture Seth. I didn't mean it to torture in the way to torture him. This is embarrassing him, I know. So I w- there was a three-strike rule kind of a deal. And uh, the first one was a warning. So if you get, like, if you got in trouble at school, warning. Don't do it again. Okay, Dad. Um, second strike, you're sitting on the couch. So our, our philosophy was we're not going to send them toward their room because we want, the, we want their bedroom to be a safe place. We want that to be the place where, you know, they can go and just be whatever. But, but, the, but the couch, the couch was like, you know, Good. So, so he would sit on the couch. And then the, th- then the, third, the third strike was, a, we believe in spanking in our family, was a spanking. Now, this is what I would say to Seth. Seth, I love you. I love you so much. And it breaks my heart that I have to do this. And I really meant it. I, did, I hated spanking. Um, but you're going to need to be spanked. But right now I want you to sit on the couch and think about it. Think about what you've done, which is horrible, like looking back. So he, had to, he was anticipating the spanking that was coming for longer. And he had to endure that. And it, not only that, if, he, if, if uh, he got home, like if, if I wasn't home yet, uh, my, Roy Ma would tell him, you know, you, you, Dad's going to want to talk to you. So that was worse. So, so, but why would I do that? Because I love... We love our children. That's why we discipline our children. The Bible is telling us here, God the Father, he's infinitely a better father than, we ever, than men that you ever could be. He is infinitely better at parenting your children than you ever could be. He absolutely, infinitely loves you. He loves those who belong to him. And, and the writer to the Hebrews is saying, look, it's for this moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but God is doing something in the midst of it. Some of that discipline is the result of something you've done that is wrong, sinful. Some of that discipline you, it had nothing to do with anything you've done. God is molding and he's shaping you and he's shaping your character and he's doing something beautiful in your life. Listen, listen, whatever thing that you're experiencing right now, God does not waste a tear, and he does not waste your pain. He is molding and shaping you, and he's doing something beautiful in the midst of the thing that you think is so terrible. You've got you, you to believe that. Uh, William Cooper, who wrote a bunch of hymns, he helped John, I believe he helped John Newton write Amazing Grace. Uh, he was a, a phenomenal poet. He also suffered from chronic debilitating depression. In his hymn, or originally a poem, 
God moves in a mysterious way. There are two verses in there I want you to hear. I, I added this this morning. I thought it would be good to share it with you, so it's not on the screen. But hear this. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purpose will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Like That's what he's doing in your life. Which leads me to the second point, and that is, it is a good God who will reveal the glory to us. He's good. He's infinitely good. He's doing something in your life that is good. And you might not see all the details, and you might not understand why he's doing it in your life. And listen, listen, it's okay to not understand. I I was sharing in the first service that God gave us the language of lament in our Bibles for a reason. He's gifted us language of lament. When Jesus was on the cross, he quoted one of the Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's given you language of lament so that when you don't have the vocabulary to articulate what what you're feeling and, 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 and not able to wrap your mind around what it is that God is doing in your life, he has gifted you language to use in your prayers. He's big enough to handle your grief and your questions. Martin Lloyd-Jones like, had a profound, has had a profound and continues to have a profound influence upon my life. He was a pastor in the mid-1900s and uh, started out as a medical doctor and God called him into the ministry, spent 30 years preaching to the same congregation, 30 years. And uh, he developed throat cancer. And he, I don't know how long he battled throat cancer, but he battled it for some time. And they exhausted all treatment. He just wasn't going to get better. And so when they discovered that he was not going to get better, he, he decided that he was not going to continue with treatment. He said, in light of these verses, he said this, the words will be on the screen, the great reality is the glory that is coming. Hold on to this idea that we do not really belong to this present age, that our citizenship is in heaven. This present world is passing, transient, temporary. The world to come is the real, the permanent world. Uh, that is the one that, is, uh, subs- that has substance and which will endure forever. So when he, told us he, when he decided, I'm not going to get any more treatment, he, he said to his family, he instructed them, please do not pray for healing for me. And this is what he said, do not hold me back from the glory. He was in his 80s. I mean, he pastored uh, through World War II, his church, the church that he pastored went from 500 to like almost 900 in, you know, in Europe. He, um, he was meeting with his doctor, or his doctor was meeting with him, and Martin Lloyd-Jones' voice was beginning to fade, like he was losing his voice. And as a pastor, that's one of the, that's like one of your worst fears, to not have your voice anymore. He could barely talk. His uh, doctor said to him, It grieves me to see you sitting here weary and worn and sad. And with with, with any any strength that he can muster up, he said, not sad, not sad. And his daughter was sitting next to him, and the story goes that he pointed in his Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And he died. He died. 
the glory that Martin Lloyd-Jones was looking towards and holding on to is the same glory Paul is talking about here. Waiting for it with eager longing. Groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. And it's written, I mean, we, we read about it not just in the epistles that Paul wrote, but all throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Read Isaiah sometime. Read the, the last few chapters of, of, of the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. One of the verses that I, or passages that I read to Cliff as he was sick in the hospital was 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation to be revealed in the last time. And this glory is described for us in Revelation chapter 21. Then I, and the words will not be on the screen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Listen, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's the glory that Paul was holding on to, that he was looking to, that future glory that was to be revealed to us collectively, which made his pain and his suffering dim in comparison. So I want to have Rachel come up and just share a little bit of uh, just kind of what led to our conversation at Dasbog Coffee, and, um, and then we'll have the worship team come up and conclude us in a, in a final song. Here. So this is Rachel. I'm like trying to adjust myself, don't mind me. <laughs> How many of you know Rachel? Just raise your hand. Okay. Um, so Hi, guys. this is Rachel, <laughs> and uh, the youngest daughter of Bonnie and uh, her dad who passed away. So. Yeah. Um, so, a little bit about my story, as a lot of you guys heard, my father passed away in October of 2021. Um, since then, like after that happened, I kind of had a little bit of a falling out with my faith. Um, definitely was sort of a like a skeptic there for a little while, like wondering, like, is he really in heaven? Is, it, is he really watching down on me? Is it just, when he passed away, was it just a black screen? You know, like... There were a lot of questions that I had that definitely were not answered right away. And so it kind of led me to kind of have that falling out with my faith. And one day at, uh, during one of my lower points, I had a couple really low points after my dad passed away where I was really struggling with my anxiety, my depression. And well, during one of those low points, I kind of stopped going to church. And the only reason I went to youth group was basically to make my mom happy. So I, there was one day where, like Pastor Keith said, he did his Q&A, and I kind of asked the question, like, how do you handle it? But for a friend. <laughs> um, and in that moment, I almost felt like my dad was punching me in the arm saying, you need to go get help. Because my dad was one of those people. Like, he would just go up to me and be like, go get help. Um, <laughs> so um, I, after that, I went up to Pastor Keith, and I was like, 
can we can we talk sometime about um, some stuff I'm struggling with, how I can regain my faith, how I can get back to where I was with my faith? Because as you, I grew up in a church. Um, my dad was in the church all the time. Um, so it was just so, I was just so used to it being my mom, my dad, and me going to church together. And my dad was probably one of the most loving and God-led people that I have ever known. And him not being there at church just did not feel right to me. So after he passed away going to church, it just didn't, didn't really feel right to me anymore because I was just so used to him being there. So talking to Pastor Keith, um, I told him a little bit about how I was feeling, um, some stuff I was struggling with, and something that will stick with me is it's okay because it's normal. It is completely normal for you to feel this way, to have questions, to have a little bit of a falling out with your faith because you can't completely understand why God does the things he does. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard the song, um, Show Me Around by uh, Carly Pierce. It's a country song, but I, I listened to it last night. I had my phone on shuffle and it has like this little enhanced shuffle where it adds in songs that are recommended for you. And I had my earbuds in last night at work when I was cleaning and this song came on. And one of the, one of the uh, lines is, I've only read about what you've seen. And it's a, this song is about um, someone who has passed away that is close to you. So that line really spoke to me. Is, I've only read what you've seen, what you are doing. And so it kind of, like, that song kind of gave me a little bit of comfort last night, kind of spoke to me last night. And like Pastor Keith said, like, your answer, you're, you're not going to have all the answers. Um, it's, it's totally okay to kind of have that falling out and just make sure you get right back in it after you're done. Yeah, that's a, one of the things, there's a passage, there's, so there's, was it First Corinthians, I don't know if it's First Corinthians or Second Corinthians, I think it's First Corinthians chapter 3 where God um, comforts us so that we can comfort others. And just going back to when I experienced the death of my father, uh, I was in my 20s and just just I had to go I had to go to counseling for about four weeks just to work through that and and the, to, to come to the realization I've been a pastor long enough I've been a Christian for a, a long time to know God is big enough to to handle your questions there's a there's a quote that I uh, came across and I thought it was so good and so appropriate especially in light of our conversation Rachel is it it's from Ever, Everlyn Underhill. I don't even know who she is, but I read this in a book. If God were small enough to be understood, he wouldn't be big enough to be worshipped. You know, he's big. He's infinitely big, and which means that he's big enough to handle your, your questions. And the very definition of faith, so Paul talks about this hope that we don't not yet, like we don't see it. He says, for who hopes and what they can see, uh, but we hope for what we don't see, and then we wait for it with patience, Right? Well, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, gives us the definition for faith, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And, um, and that God is big enough. Yeah, and as a 16-year-old girl who lost her father, who was basically her rock, um, 
it was definitely, there were a lot of questions. It's of like, why did this happen? Because I was like, like, as a lot of you guys know, I'm graduating in like two weeks. And I was like, he's not going to be there for my graduation. When I'm older, he's not going to be there for this, this and that. And there were so many questions of like, why did he have to do it then? And, you know, I'm still going to grieve. Mm -hmm. Like, there's still going to be a lot of grief. And I'm probably going to grieve for who knows how long, probably the rest of my life. But grief, like, it's not going to go away. It's just going to get easier to deal with. And no matter what grief anyone's going through, just know that it does get better. And it's definitely hard to get through it at first. But just know that you get stronger as you continue to go through it. I didn't ask you this in the first service, but I kind of feel, I wish I did. But would you say that your faith in God is stronger now than it was before the death of your father? Now, I, I didn't tell her I was going to ask her this question, so <laughs> I just, uh, just wanted to ask that, though. Um, I'm definitely still kind of getting out of okay. that little falling out. I'm definitely doing a lot better than I was, um, but... I feel like it is growing stronger as I'm continuing to deal with all of this. Um, like I said, my dad is one of the most God-loving people that I have ever known, and I wish that I, have the, I had the drive that he had to love others and care for others. He was one of those guys that would take the shirt off his back for anyone. Um, I wish that I had his drive, but I know I'm probably never going to match up to it, but... Um, I definitely have, do feel my faith growing stronger throughout the months that I have, you know, continued to heal through, yeah. oh, sorry, heal through um, everything that has happened. Yeah, like one of the things, and the worship team can come up, by the way, one of the things that I, uh, when my, when I saw, so when my father died, and the, and the, it was that week, uh, and I went to the, the funeral home and saw his body, um, it was then that my theology began to take, take on flesh as opposed to just something I had in my head. That's why I was asking that question. So it's one thing to be brought up in the Christian faith, but when you experience that kind of grief or that kind of loss, um, if it's going to be your, the faith in this God to, to anchor you into reality or whatever, it, for me it became fuller. Mm -hmm. I didn't take away, didn't take away the questions. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I, I, I had to see a counselor uh, for like four weeks to work yeah. through the pain. And my mom and I definitely did that because there was a point during my falling out with my faith that her and I's relationship was kind of not the greatest. And so it was another one of those situations where dad's like, mm, you two, go do something. Hmm. Go, go fix it. And so we went through family counseling together, and I'm, I'm very close with my mom now. So, yeah. yeah. And it, it, it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. Like, don't be afraid to ask for help. Go get help. Yeah. Um, or even just talk to someone about it yeah. that can help you through it. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rachel. Yeah, you're yeah. welcome. We're going to sing that song again. Uh, but when we sing that song, the <laughs> you've already won, there's this verse in there, I'm fighting a battle, you've already won. No matter what comes my way, I will overcome. I love this next line. Don't know what you're doing, 
but I know what you've done. Thank you, God. I'm fighting a battle you've already won. That we can go back and know that he is faithful. Even though we don't understand what's going on in our lives right now, exactly what he is exactly doing in our lives, we can know that he's faithful and he'll continue to be faithful in the midst of our pain and our suffering. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.